Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity again to gather as the people of God, whether we're in person or online. God, we thank you for the privilege it is to worship freely. We thank you for the songs that we sing, the truth that are in them. And now, God, as we turn our attention to your word, we pray, God, that you would, by your spirit, build us up. God, we thank you that this word was given to tell us about you and who you are and what you're doing. God, this word is alive and active. And so, God, we want to not only listen to this word, but be changed by it. God, thank you that you said in Isaiah that this word goes forth and will accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. And so, God, that's what we want to happen today. So help us to see and to hear, to know, and then live in light of the truth that we're going to see. And as always, God, help me to communicate it in a way that is honoring to you and is helpful to us. So God, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. At the uh, beginning of my sabbatical, I had some time just here in town where I hadn't gone away yet to some of the experiences that I had planned. And I found myself watching a kind of favorite pastime TV show called Family Feud. I don't know if you've seen it or not, uh, but it's quite comical at times because the premise of this show is they ask people questions and just general people, and I think you can even do it online now, kind of a survey of kind of an, a question, and then they get the top four or eight answers, and then they bring these contestants on the show, typically two families, and they're trying to figure out the answers to these questions, and if they figure them out, then they win. Well, on this day, I just kind of randomly turned it on, and I was watching it, and the question was this. The question was, if you won the lottery... What are some dumb things that you can do with the money? So that was the question, all right? And I was intrigued by that. In fact, I find myself just, again, kind of randomly at times watching this, and, and probably because my son several years ago showed me like some YouTube clips of the worst Family Feud answers ever, and, and they are quite hilarious, I, I gotta say it. And really watching Steve Harvey's reaction as well is, is worth it because, I mean, he's just like flabbergasted at times. And this was one of those days. And so the question was, if you won the lottery, what are some dumb things to do with the money? And again, the premise is one uh, family tries to answer and if they get you know, three strikes and it goes over to the other family. And when this family started giving the answers to this question, I was dumbfounded. And I don't know if they misunderstood the question or what, but my face looked a lot like Steve Harvey's face because here's the answers that they gave. Remember, the question is, what are dumb things to do with lottery winnings? Well, here's what they said. Save it. Invest it. Give it to a charity or give some to a charity. And as these three X's came up on the screen, you could see Steve Harvey's reactions like, hold up, those are all good things to do with the money. Those are not dumb things to do, those are good things to do. And they wound up, in fact, I don't think either team got any question right because they just kept giving, here's what's crazy, good answers, but bad answers according to the question. Then here's what made me think. Then it made me think, are these people that dumb? <laughs> Are these people that dumb? Because here's what I want you to realize. They thought that investing was a dumb thing. Saving was a dumb thing. Giving to a charity. I mean, I took that one personal, right? <laughs> was a dumb thing. And then I thought, oh my gosh, they have it completely backwards. I mean, the right answers to the question would be like, 
gamble with it. Buy new cars, right? Now, I'll stop there because I don't want to offend a lot of you because you're like, wait, I did all those things. Well, that's why we're doing this series, all right? <laughs> this series is called Sacred Stewardship. Sacred Stewardship. And the tagline, I've got it here on the screen, it's behind me as well, is this. Sacred stewardship is caring for what God entrusted to us. Caring for, caring for it, taking responsibility for it, what God has entrusted to us. And the premise is simply this. God has entrusted something to you. God has entrusted something to you. And the point that I was trying to make last week, and we'll build on it this week by the title of the message but about what we're going to focus on here in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, which if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. We're going to be in the same text we were in last week and then kind of build on it in looking at the next couple verses down to verse 32. But the premise is that God has entrusted you something. And the first and primary thing that God has entrusted to us is our own souls, is the breath in which we breathe. It's ourselves. Because when God first made man, right, the very first man, Adam, he took him from the dirt, literally took dirt, which is why I think boys like to play in the dirt still. Doesn't mean the girls don't. It just kind of makes sense, right? That's where we came from. We feel at home there, right? And so God took dirt and breathed life into him. And that very breath of God is what shapes us into the image of God, which is called the Imago Dei. So God created you and me in his image by his very breath. We're the only thing in all of creation that God called very good because we were created in his image. So there is something about us that images God. And we know, again, just from studying nature, that we are the only beings on the planet that have the ability of cognitive thought. This is why a dog thinks, I shouldn't do that, because they just do instinct. They don't think, oh, you know, that was dumb. They're not thinking. We have the ability to kind of step outside of ourselves and look at ourselves. That is part of what it means to image God. And the reason God gave us that capacity is because he wants us to understand what we've been entrusted with. We've been entrusted with his very breath. We've been entrusted with our souls. And I told you last week, if you were here, there was a point in time when you did not exist, but there will never be a point in time from this point forward that you don't exist. Your soul will live forever. So you and I are called to care for what we've been entrusted with, which first and foremost is ourselves, and then the responsibilities with which God has given us. And that's why Paul says in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, to these Ephesian elders, this verse, which I've told you is my life verse, because it obviously applies directly to pastors, but it applies indirectly to everybody, because all of us have something we've been entrusted with from God. So let's look at this again, and I'm gonna break it down for you. Acts 20, verse 28 says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock. Now, at the end of the message last week, I broke down how this verse is built upon the New Testament idea that everything we are called to do, those are commands, rest on first and foremost what God has done. Because the Christian message is not, I said is not, if you do this, then God will do this. Which is why I've said many, many times, you know, pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps is not in the Bible. Or God helps those that help. No, that is wrong. Please don't ever say that. God helps those who can't help themselves. 
Not only is it wrong, it's dead wrong. It's not in the Bible. God helps those who have no shot at helping themselves. That's what makes Christianity utterly different than any other religion on the planet. Every other religion on the planet has lists of rules and morals of what you should do. And if you do those things, then you might attain this thing, which might be heaven or nirvana, depending upon what they say. But ours is the exact opposite. No, 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 no. We couldn't do those things, so God did this thing, which was he sent Jesus to live in our place for our sins. And not only does he cancel our record of sin, but now by the power of grace through the Holy Spirit, he empowers us to do what we could have never done, which was obey him. So the New Testament flow, if you will, is these two premises. And I told you last week, but I'm gonna give them here to you on the screen so that you can get a better concept of them. It's indicatives and imperatives. And that has to do with the verb moods that we just saw. So let me explain these to you again. The indicatives show what God has done, is doing, or will do. So notice that it's past, present, and future. Past, present, and future. It shows what God is doing, or has done, is doing, and will do. The imperatives, these are the commands, show what we are to do in light of what God has done. Now, let me put these two together and then we'll go back to the verse. Every imperative of scripture, what we are to do, rests on the indicative, who we are in relationship to what God has done. So let me say that again. Every imperative, every command that God gives us, which in this verse is pay careful attention to, that's the command, rests on the indicative who we are in relationship to what God has done. And I told you last week, there's two in this verse. Obtained by the blood of Christ, made an overseer by the Holy Spirit. So we've been acquired by Jesus and we've been appointed by the Holy Spirit. And those two things happened, watch this, outside of your actions for God and they happened by God's actions for you. So God did something. Ephesians 2, which is the book that we'll study after this series because the entire book of Ephesians rests on this paradigm. I told you last week, the first three chapters of Ephesians are all in the indicative. Here's what God did. So I'm giving you the premise here. We're gonna unpack it more for months to come in the book of Ephesians because I want you to understand this paradigm. Here's what God has done. Then the last three chapters of Ephesians are, here's what you are to do. And the order matters. The order matters. Because here's what I want you to see. When we talk about something God has entrusted to you, what we're saying is not only did, did he make your soul, but you and I, we took our souls and we used them to sin against our maker. But then God redeemed our souls. He redeemed them in the blood of Christ. And when he made us alive, Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2.10 goes on and says, then he created you in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he had appointed for you to do beforehand. See, here's the deal. God has good works for you to do, but he had to redeem your soul first and make it alive in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit and then appoint you to what he made you to do. That is the entrust part. And when you see that, here's what you understand. What makes this a sacred stewardship is you're not just stewarding your own soul. You're stewarding the salvation of your soul. You're stewarding a soul, watch this, that Jesus purchased with his own life. That's pretty valuable, don't you think? Because you know the value of something the worth of something by what you're willing to pay for it. Which is why sometimes we pay an exorbitant amounts of money for other things. People are like, why'd you pay that? Well, because to me, it's valuable. Because it's a family heirloom or it's something my husband made or my wife made or my grandfather made. To me, it's valuable. We're like, bro, it's just a chest. Well, I know, but my grandfather built it with his own hands. So you are willing to assign some worth to it by what it means to you. Here's what I want you to see. Here's how God values you. 
You were so valuable that the price he was willing to pay was his own life. Is there anything more valuable than that? No. So what you're stewarding here is sacred because you've been purchased by the blood of Christ and that's not all. So I tell you, the gospel is far gooder than you ever thought. Not only did he make you alive, he's making you alive. And now by the power of the Holy Spirit as an ever-present help in your life, John 16, we talked about this in the last series, or not the last series, the last series that I preached, which was the gospel of John, where he is now there to help you. So he's an ever-present help giving you grace that Christ purchased. So if that's true, and it is, don't you think we should pay careful attention? That's the command, okay? The command is pay careful attention. Now, there's two things he tells us to pay careful attention to. And so we're gonna take this week and next week to look at the first one, and then the following week to look at the second one. So this week, what we're called to pay careful attention to, first and foremost, is ourselves. So the title for this week's message is To Yourselves. Pay careful attention to yourself. Now, this message is not intended to go along with just kind of the modern day ethos of how we think of things. You're like, oh, okay, well, this is a message about me being selfish. No, no, it's not what this is about. See, being a believer, being a good steward it's not being selfish in the sense of like, you're just focused only on yourself. But the flip side of that, and I say this all the time on either side of the road is a ditch, so there's multiple ways to be wrong, is just to completely never pay attention to yourself as somehow that that's what God has asked you to do. No. Paul said in verse 24 of Acts 20, we did this verse last week, he says, I do not account my life of any value. Now, he's not saying he's not valuable because, again, Christ died for him. The word there, value, again, as I told you, doesn't really translate well into English because the word he uses there is the Greek word logos, which is the same word that John uses in John chapter 1 when he was talking about who Jesus is. Now, what Paul was saying here was, I'm not the Logos, which the Logos, I told you, is the one thing that defines and gives meaning to every other thing in your life. So paying careful attention to yourself, listen to me, is not establishing, well, I'm the Logos. I'm the one thing that defines and gives meaning to everything in life. No, 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 no. See, that's what culture tells you. Culture tells you you're the center you're the center, and everything in your life should orbit around what you think and how you feel, even truth. Truth is not something out there to be discovered. It's something in here to be created. So the solution is not getting more help from the outside. It's going deeper into the inside. That's what the world says. Well, that's not what this is saying. What the Bible is saying is you're not the Logos, Jesus is. But here's what we must do. Watch this. We must pay careful attention to how our life is lining up to Jesus as the Logos. Where are the gaps in our life? Here's Jesus who defines and gives meaning to everything in my life. Is Jesus and his word the thing that's defining and giving meaning to everything in my life? How am I measuring up to that? That's what it means to pay careful attention. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, let's keep reading in the Bible. Glad you asked. All right, verse 29. Paul says this, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. So that's an idea of something from the outside. Not sparing the flock. Here's the key, though. Look at verse 30. And from among your own what? If you're new, I like for you to call and respond every now and then. Let's try it again. All right, even Jasper. And from among your own what? Selves. Selves. We are to pay careful attention to our what? Ourselves. And now he says, from among your own selves. You see the connection? All right. Pay careful attention to yourselves. 
Why? Because from among your own selves, watch this, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. The reason why we have to pay careful attention to ourselves is because ourselves will speak twisted things. Ourselves will speak twisted things, which is why I've said many times in my 13 years of pastoring here, no one has lied to you more than you. And the problem with you is that, you wanna know the problem with you? The problem with you is you gotta take you with you everywhere you go. That's the problem. And the problem with you is sin tells you, the world tells you, the devil tells you, your flesh tells you, you're the logos. You're the thing that defines and gives meaning to everything in your life. And here's what I want you to hear me say. There is nothing more twisted than that. There's nothing more twisted than that. But that's the very air we breathe in our culture. Now let's look at what this concept of twisted means. This word here, twisted, it can mean perverted or misleading. But the concept of it is this, and I want to kind of illustrate this to you because I think it's very helpful to kind of visualize this. The concept of twisted, it means to turn your attention away from. It's like this, this podium, my Bible. Here's God. And we are called to turn toward God. And when we turn toward God, we're also turning away from something else. We're turning away from our sin, our flesh, our natural inclinations and desires. And this is why it is such a faulty thing to say, well, this is how I feel, or even I was born this way, because biblically speaking, the Bible says, yes, you were born a sinner. You were born twisted. So our natural inclination is to turn. I mean, this is just how we're born. We are turning, uh, we turn to sin. It's natural for us. This is why Paul says in Romans 7, I don't understand myself. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. Why? Because there's something in me, he says. There's a power within me. What's that power within you? It's your flesh. This is why you don't have to teach your kids to say mine. And everybody thinks they're a great parent until they have their own kids. And then they realize those suckers come out of the womb sinners. Right? It, it's, just, it's called we're bent on ourselves. So the concept of repentance, watch this. The concept of repentance literally is a turning away. So we're turning away from sin and we're turning to God. Well, this word here, twisted, is the opposite of that. And that's what I want you to see. There will arise people from, and it's not just men, ladies, all right? It's mankind, all right? Men and women. You're like, of course, this is what men do. Yes, we all do it. We all do it, all right? The concept of twisted means I'm turning away, but I'm turning the opposite way. Now I'm turning from God back to my sin. Isaiah 5, chapter 5, verse 20 says, Woe to you who call good evil and evil good. See, here's what happens, and I want you to hear, it's not just happening in the 21st century, 21st century. I think a lot of us get so short-sighted and we just think that just in the last 20 years has the world gone crazy. <laughs> Bro, it's been crazy since Genesis 3. But the devil is crafty and he's going to find more creative ways to say the same old twisted things. And here's what he's gonna say. Who said that was sin? Well, it's not sin if it's how you feel. If it's not sin if that's what feels natural to you. And so a twisted thing is going to be 
Don't let God or the Bible, I mean, that's an old, outdated, antiquated book anyway, right? Don't let God or the Bible determine what is right or wrong. Turn from that and turn to the Logos, which is yourself, and you determine which is right and which is wrong. And that is the picture of what a twisted up person looks like. And you get this even more so when Paul says, from among your own selves will arise men, speak of twisting things, to draw away. To draw away. Listen, the thing that concerns me most is not what's happening in the world. It's not even what's happening politically. Again, we act like in the last 30, 40 years, this is when politics have really... Have you noticed every election is the most important one in your lifetime? I mean, it's the way it always is. But my concern is not all that stuff outside the church. My concern, and yes, partly because I'm a pastor, is not what people are saying outside the church. It's what people are saying inside of it. That's what breaks my heart. It's not that politicians are saying twisted things. It's that so-called pastors are. And I did say so-called on purpose. So-called pastors saying twisted things, which are drawing people away. from paying a careful attention to themselves and how they line up according to this. Instead of looking at objectively, here's God, here's the word, here's the standard. Now, I'm not trying to measure up to it to be saved. I'm trying to measure up to it because I am saved and I wanna be a good steward of my salvation. Right? But it doesn't mean that grace just empowers me now to say no to God and yes to sin. I mean, think about that. Why in the world would God save you from sin and then give you power to go right back to sin? That makes zero sense. No, God saves you from sin in Christ, and then by the power of the Holy Spirit gives you grace now to enable you to do what you couldn't do before, which was obey God's word. But Paul says, this is why you gotta pay careful attention to yourselves. Because there are, now he uses this word, fierce wolves that will come in among you. Now that is wolves in sheep's clothing, right? I love how Lecrae said it in a rap song years ago. That's sheep with sharp teeth. Right, they're just coming, they're just trying to devour you. And the shepherd's job is to protect the sheep, the flock, the church from the outside. But how do you protect the sheep from the outside when the shepherd themselves are wolves? From among the own flock are rising men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples. Now, I'm going to put myself on the spot here, which is fine. I don't mind doing it. This is why everything that I say or is said from this stage, by this stage, I just don't mean Kent and Jasper. I mean from the pulpit. It's the idea of the teaching platform of this church. If it does not line up with this book, you should leave. You should leave. I care, I want you to hear me say this. I care more about your soul than I do your attendance at this church. Because your soul is infinitely more valuable. Now, my commitment and every teacher that teaches from the teaching platform of this church is to only say to you what is in this book. To only say to you what is in this book. That is our commitment. 
And here's why. The cultural zeitgeist of the moment, which is just the cultural ideas of the moment, we're never trying to, this is one of my biggest pet peeves in church. We're not trying to be relevant. I don't even know what that means anymore. I mean, I've never known what it means. I mean, I shopped at Walmart and Kmart. I'm like, what is relevant? (laughs) To me is, does it fit and is it cheap, right? But if I'm chasing relevance, I'm always chasing some new cultural norm, which is why I just stay in my lane and about every five years, I'm in fashion again. (laughs) Right? I'm not trying to chase something. So my job and our job is not to make the church relevant. Watch this. It's to show you how this is relevant. That's a big difference. Because... The cultural ideas of this world. Here's what's crazy. You're being told stuff that is true, and we haven't even worked out the ramifications of it all yet. What happens to people who believe these things? That's what you got. You got to ask yourself this question. If I build my life on this truth, if the big bad wolf comes along, can he blow it down? Remember the story of the three little pigs, right? You never know where these sermons are going to (laughs) go. Two pigs built their houses on sticks and straw, and the big bad wolf comes and blows them down. And depending upon the version, some of them get eaten, which we don't like that one as much. But then those two go to the third house who built his house on bricks. And he comes and he huffs and he puffs and he tries to blow the house down and he can't. Is it any coincidence that that's a wolf in this story and these are wolves in this story? See, there are wolves even from among the church that will tell you, build your life out of this. And you have to ask yourself this question. Well, can that life sustain the test of time? Can it build me a life? Watch this. Can it build me a life not just in this life, but in the one to come? Can it build me an eternal life? And I want you to see this, which is where Paul goes next. Verse 31. He says, therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish, which means to teach or instruct every one of you with tears. Verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able, watch this, to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. We'll talk about that part next week. That'll be part two of to yourselves. But the first thing Paul says here, he says, I commend you. Now here's what's interesting about this word commend. It's not like, oh, I just recommend Oh, I recommend that. Paul's not giving advice. That's not what he's saying. You have to remember the context. Paul is leaving. He told them in verse 17 and 18, he says, I'm leaving, going to Jerusalem, and then I'm going to Rome. I don't know what's going to happen to me except imprisonment and afflictions. Praise Jesus, right? He says, I'll never see your face again. And so Paul's saying, I'm not advising you to God and his grace. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm turning you over to. It's interesting. It's the word to entrust. Here's what Paul says. I taught you for three years, day and night, with tears, which all teaching requires tears. Those of you who went back to school and teaching, you already know that. But those of you who have kids and you have your parent and you're teaching, you know that. Elsewhere, Paul says, I am working until Christ informed in you. And he uses the analogy of giving birth. Again, I've never done it, but I've been in the room where it happened. And that's painful. A lot of tears. But Paul says, listen, I'm not just recommending God and his word. He says, I'm turning you over to him. I'm entrusting you to him. I am leaving. And now I'm putting you under the protection of God and his word. 
See, here's what we have to understand. If we're going to pay careful attention to ourselves, if we're going to care for what God has entrusted to us, then we must do something. In fact, it's my next point. You might want to write this down. In order to care for what God has entrusted to us, here's what we must do. We must entrust ourselves to God and his word. In order to care for what God entrusted to us, we must entrust ourselves to God and his word. Let me say it to you like this. You better not entrust yourself to yourself. You better not entrust yourself to the subjectivity of yourself. This is why you can't trust yourself to your own feelings. Whoa, whoa, feelings. Now, feelings are good. They're not bad. God gave them to you. And simply what feelings are, are data. They are there to help you understand what's going on in you. It's not wrong to feel sad or anxious or depressed or happy or joyful. Those things aren't wrong. But here's what I'm saying. If those are your subjective standard, then they're like this all the time. And what makes a river crooked is it goes naturally to the least like it, the least obstructed way. And your feelings, your life is gonna be crooked if you live it that way too, very subjectively. Oh, there's a rock, I'm gonna go around that. Oh, that's too hard, I, don't, I ain't feeling that. Your life is gonna be crooked if you are the subjective standard. Let me say it like, if you are entrusting yourself to yourself, you're not the Logos. I'm not the Logos. We must entrust ourselves to God. In his word. Why? Here's why. Because it is able to do something that we are not. It is able. I'm saying it, but don't misunderstand what I'm saying. He is able. Like from a Trinitarian perspective, you can think about it like this. There's God, his word, which is Jesus. And then the power within us, which is the Holy Spirit. So you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So Paul is saying, I'm entrusting you. I'm putting you underneath the supervision of God and his word and his spirit. Because he, the three persons of the Trinity, he is able to build you up. Here's what's really fascinating to me. I told you last week that this word stewardship in the Bible is made up of two Greek words that is the Greek word ekonomia, oikos, which is house, nomos, which is law. And so it means house laws. So the economy is household management. It is living our life according to God's laws. Well, here's what's really cool. This word here built up is a very similar word. In fact, it's oikos, which is house. But instead of nomos, it's oikodomio, which is able to build the house. So here's what's really cool to me. If you and I are gonna be good stewards, which means we're going to manage God's house, we better have a power available to us that's actually able to build the house that we're supposed to manage. And here's what Paul's saying. Here's the good news. Not only does God want you to manage the house, but here's what's cool. He's gonna build the house for you. You don't have to build a house for God. God is gonna build your house. This is what Peter says in 1 Peter 2. I don't have it here on the screen, but you can use it as a reference. 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5. Peter says, you've come to the living stone, which like spiritual stones, is building you up to a spiritual house. See, you're the house. I'm the house. When we say the house of God, we're not referring to a building. And I've said this many times, it's not wrong to have a building. They house the family. But the family is the people of God. 
And the good news is, is Paul is saying here, listen, God and his word will build you as the house. So what we're called to pay careful attention to is, is God in me building me as a spiritual house as I am listening to and obeying his word? Because that is the only thing that we can entrust ourselves to, to make sure it's building a life, watch this, that will stand the test of every storm. We've had some crazy storms over the last couple of weeks, haven't we? El Nino, La Nina, volcanic eruption back at the end of last, I mean, it's crazy stuff weather-wise. So storms are gonna come and pound on your life. COVID, cancer, death, divorce. Those storms are coming. And here's what the world will never tell you. If you build your life as yourself, as the Logos, then you got nobody but yourself to entrust yourself to. And I don't know about you, I don't want to entrust myself to myself. I need a power bigger than myself. I need a person bigger than myself. So, if you and I are going to pay careful attention to ourselves, we must ask ourselves this question. What kind of house am I building? Or better yet, am I allowing God and his word to build me up? Because it is the only thing, he is the only thing that is Able, that word able is dynamus, where we get our English word dynamite from. He's the only one who has the power to build an indestructible life. And that's what's amazing because that's what the book of Hebrews describes Jesus as having. He did it by the power of an indestructible life. Think about that. How did Jesus die and rise again? Because he had a, he had a life that was indestructible. No toddler can destroy it. Time can't destroy it. And here's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of a lot of us have started believing some twisted things. And what I'm saying to you is, if you're believing some twisted things, your beliefs start changing. And then what starts changing after that is your behaviors. You're no longer living out the commands of God. You're going with cultural definitions of sin instead of biblical definitions of sin. See, here's what's so scary to me. The only sin that can damn you, and that's a biblical word, okay, that can damn you to hell is unconfessed and unforgiven sin. That's the only kind. See, confessed and forgiven sin gets you with God. But unconfessed, unforgiven sin will damn your soul to hell. And now we have men and women in the church rising up, speaking twisted things and saying, well, you don't need to confess that because it's not sin. That's not sin. That's a cultural made up thing in the Bible. That's not sin. And it's starting to turn you away from God and his definitions of sin to yourself. And here's what's scary. You're not gonna confess this sin because the, the world tells you it's not a sin. Well, that's a twisted thing. And if you believe that twisted thing, and here's where it's scary, you no longer have the power of an indestructible life. You no longer have the power. And I'm not talking about losing your salvation. Those are big theological, that's what I'm saying. But you have to be very, very careful because 
if I'm building my life not on God and his word, I'm believing twisted things. Well, those twisted things don't have the power to build me up eternally. Which is why I said to you, this church from this teaching platform, we will only always tell you what this word says. And listen, it will not be culturally appropriate at times. And that's what people think, that it has to be. No, no, no. In fact, we'll get into this in Ephesians 5. In Ephesians 5, where Paul told husbands to love their wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. See, today, the phrase, wives, submit to your husbands. Do you realize back then, that wasn't the offensive part? Back then, the offensive part was husbands love your wives. She's property. See, back then, it was to the husbands. Now it's to the wives. It's culturally offensive to every culture. This is what I love about the Bible. It is an equal opportunity offender. <laughs> but am I gonna build my life on the cultural norms of the day? Or am I going to build my life on God and his word, which has the power to build me up? So as we wrap this week up, thinking about the concept of paying careful attention to yourself, let me end with this question. And I have it here on the screen. What are some twisted things that have been drawing you away? What are some twisted things that have been drawing you away? Twisted things that maybe you heard from one of those so-called pastors. So I tell you all the time, please, church, especially the younger generation, do not get your theology from TikTok. Dear Lord. And I would even say, don't get your theology from a 20-year-old. Because what in the world has that 20-something done yet to see if that actually has the power to build an indestructible life? Now, I'm somewhere in the middle, depending upon what you define as old, all right? So I've lived long enough to understand that's a twisted thing. What twisted things are drawing you away? I don't think you'll have to take very long if you start to look at yourself and you think, man, I haven't been loving my spouse like I'm called to. I haven't been walking in the ways of Jesus when it comes to purity and holiness. Maybe it is in the area of sexuality. Because again, we live in a world today that's redefining everything. Because they're the Logos. I told you, Logos defines and gives meaning to everything. If you're living out those twisted things, then you're not paying careful attention to yourself to see, man, am I believing this twisted thing that's drawing me away from God and his word? See, your behaviors always flow from your beliefs. The commands always flow from, the imperatives always flow from the indicatives. What is it that you believe? Well, if you believe God and his word, and it has the power to build you up, then no matter how hard it gets, you will stay there and you won't get drawn away by twisted things. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace in our life. Thank you that even though you made our souls, when we took what you made and we twisted it because we believed lies, we perverted it, even then you didn't leave us to ourselves. In grace, you sent Jesus to redeem us, to save us. And even now, You've given us the Holy Spirit to empower us. You've acquired us and appointed us. But God, I know there may be people here today who have never trusted in Jesus. They've never had that point in time in their life where they understood that even though they made a mess of things, that now they're ready to confess and have their sins covered 
by the blood of Christ. And so God, I pray right now for those people, you would save them. No one looking around or talking here as we close as always. If there's never been a point in time in your life where you can say, I've confessed and repented from my sin, which simply means I am confessing that I made myself the Logos, the center. And now I want Jesus to take his place as Savior and Lord in my life to save me and to empower me by his spirit to obey. If that's you, then today you can trust God. We believe that the Holy Spirit is working. He's drawing you to Jesus. He's opening your eyes to see the truth. And now you can respond in faith. And if that's you, you can pray with me. You don't have to do it out loud, but it goes like this. Say, Father, Thank you for loving me, that you sent Jesus to live the life that I couldn't live, but who died the death that I deserved. I'm dying with him. I'm confessing my sins. But in the same way he rose again and is alive, I ask you now to make me alive in him. By grace, through faith in Christ. Forgive me, save me. Thank you for loving me. Now, again, nobody looking around or talking, but if you just prayed that with me and you're in one of our physical locations, would you just simply lift your hand up so we can see that? Thank you. We got men and women that are here are gonna put a gift in your hand and when they do, you can put it down. And then for those of us that have trusted Jesus, but if you're honest, you've been listening to the world your flesh, and let's be straight, the devil. Because you've been drawn away by some twisted things. And if you believe twisted things, you're gonna have a twisted life. And so I don't know what that is for you, but I'm just asking right now for the Holy Spirit to bring some things to your mind, some areas in your life where you've gotten it twisted. You've walked away. You gave in to your flesh. Now it's time to confess, to repent again. Repentance is not something you do once. It's something you do every day. Again, you're turning away from your sin. You're turning back to Christ. It mean, doesn't mean you're getting saved again. It just means you're agreeing with God. So what are the twisted things in your life that have been drawing you away? Father, I pray that you would apply this word because we want to be good stewards good stewards of our own soul, but that only happens as we align our life to you, as we entrust our life to you and to your word, because only you and your word are worthy of our souls to be entrusted to, because only you and your word have the power to build us up into your house, because we house your spirit, God. So I pray that we would Heed this word, and we would pay careful attention to ourselves. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.